0: So, we left off in November uh, going through 1 Corinthians. Uh, we left off in November. We went into our Advent series, then kind of our beginning of the year series. And then last week, uh, I spent the morning addressing uh, the bill that passed in New York. Uh, and I know that for many of you this week, uh, after that sermon, you went to your community groups, had some uh, really uh, fantastic discussions. Um, I talked with a lot of you, either at community group or just through text, email, in person. Uh, just how encouraged you were in that, uh, especially uh, having Leslie come up and share with us and encourage us and give us a lot of great practical insights. Um, this is not the last you're going to hear of this uh, from, you know, from this church. Uh, you know, we'll have some things uh, more in the future, too, that different ways we can get involved uh, and other ways we can be equipped. Uh, but I know that um, it was very uh, encouraging uh, for many of you, um, eye-opening for some, um, and uh, and it's just, for me, it was just a really, yes, uh, last week was just a really, um, it was just, it was, for me personally, it was a, it was a great uh, morning to spend that time with you guys looking at this morning over it, but also being encouraged. And one thing I didn't mention uh, at the end that I wanted to kind of close in prayer was, um, you know, there's been times in our history as a country where it seemed dismal that there was no hope for something. Uh, You think maybe of being an abolitionist against slavery in the late 1700s, early 1800s, when abolition was still 50, 60 years away. And it would be very easy for them at that point to say there's no hope. But eventually slavery was abolished. And it's been a slow process and road since then. Uh, But it is better than it was in the 1840s, 1850s. Uh, You think back to maybe being a, a, a Jew in Europe... And them thinking that this is it, this is the end of our race, but within a few years there was liberation, and now they've got their own nation. And so for us, as I confessed last week, that um, it's easy to get very discouraged and see this kind of legislation pass and those kinds of things happen, um, but we can't give up hope and we can't keep quiet, because it might not be in five years or ten years God forbid it be 40 or 50 years or beyond, but even if it is in 40 or 50 years we see some kind of reversal, some kind of change in the culture, then we'll praise God for that. And, um, and I hope that in 40 or 50 or 60 years, hope less, but I hope by then, we look back the same way that we look back at things like slavery and the Holocaust and uh, the way we treated Native Americans, and uh, I hope we look back at that and, and say, what were we thinking? And I hope that it just ends up being a rather large, but a a black mark on our history, but I hope that at some point it becomes history. And for us, we can keep going, keep praying, keep encouraging, and doing some of the things that Leslie shared with us, just being an encouragement, come alongside uh, these uh, young, uh, vulnerable women, couples, uh, and just show them the hope of Jesus, uh, one life at a time, one person at a time, uh, and we just hope and pray that there would be a reversal. So, Uh, Just a reversal of our attitude, Uh, not just laws, but our attitude, our hearts as a country and as people. Um, So I wanted to mention, too, real quick, uh, last week, you know, I I, uh, told you guys that we'd be able to give. uh, If you want to give towards uh, uh, Pathway Health Clinic, Uh, we uh, had a box in the back. So there's a box uh, back there on that table. Uh, So if you didn't have your checkbook last week, I hope maybe you brought it this week. And if you wanted to give towards that, uh, I want to encourage you to do that as well uh, after service. You can just drop it in the box back there. Uh, but as I mentioned, we left off, you know, in uh, November going through um, 1 Corinthians and uh, took, you know, a couple different, um, uh, a little shorter series, you know, going through uh, Advent and All Star, beginning this, uh the, the year series. Uh, and we're jumping back into 1 Corinthians today, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, we left off looking at prophecy, and, um, and today we're going to be looking at the gift of tongues. Uh, so it's uh, always been a, a big, controversial topic uh, through the years, uh, and so today I'm, I'm hoping that as we uh, jump back into Scripture, uh, jump back into this topic of spiritual gifts, that uh, the Lord would just lead us, uh, help us to understand, uh, and that He would give us grace for each other because many, many people differ on this topic. Uh, but, uh, but today we're going to go forward in grace, hoping to understand from the Scriptures uh, you know, what uh, tongues, the, the purpose of tongues uh, is. Uh, what it was given to the church for and what it has to do with our lives today. So uh, allow me to pray and then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 14. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God, a gracious Father. And God, our hearts get overwhelmed so often, especially as we look at the last couple weeks of just uh, the goings-on in our country. But we're encouraged, God, because we know that you are a God who's in control, a God who is sovereign, and a God who has a plan. You've put the church on the planet, and though we look around ourselves and we see ourselves as weak and unable, uh, we see ourselves as just... uh, just incapable of seeing any kind of change through our own lives, but, uh, but this is the great wise plan that you've come up with, that you use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And we know that there is no plan B. You've put your church on this planet with our various gifts and passions, our own stories and testimonies, and you use all of us as a team, as a family, to affect the world, whether it's big, daunting topics like abortion, or if it's the, the day-to-day things of just encouraging each other when we have a, a down day or um, problems that arise in the home. Now do you use us all to bring about your gospel work, and so we are thankful. God, that you've called us out of darkness, but also given us uh, ministry, various types of ministry, through the various gifts that you give us. And Today, God, we look at a particular gift that has stirred up a lot of controversy over uh, the last couple thousand years, and so we ask for your wisdom and help and graciousness towards each other, and that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth today and help us to understand your word. We know you don't want us to be in the dark, we see that that's even what Paul says, He wants us to uh, understand these things, and so we ask for your help as we open your word today. So we thank you, Lord. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So Paul, as he's writing this, just to kind of catch us up a little bit since it's been really a couple months since we've been in 1 Corinthians, Paul was seeking to bring out about some correction in the church some balanced perspective, not just on the gift of spiritual gifts, but in a lot of different things. And in this particular section, as we're looking at spiritual gifts, uh, the Corinthians were seeking some of the more extraordinary gifts because it made them feel a little more special, a little more connected with God. Uh, It made them feel as if they were more favored by God, like he gave them some special grace. But Paul's going to make the case that the pursuit of the gifts for that purpose, the purpose of feeling like you're more special to God or whatever, the, the pursuit of the gifts for that purpose is pointless. And rather that we ought to seek out spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the church, not building up our resume or our, the perception that other people have of us and how spiritual we are if we can do some extraordinary things, but we should pursue the gifts for the purpose that God would be glorified and that the church would be built up. Seeing people come and know the grace and the love of Christ through the the gifting that God has given us and as we left off on prophecy and if you missed that sermon I'd recommend you watch through that to get a greater context for today today as we look at this gift of tongues that has been so really controversial and intriguing and extraordinary to look at the last couple thousand years and it brings up a lot of different opinions thoughts questions does it still exist today if so what is the role that it would play today Was the gift given back then? Uh, What was it given to initially? What was the original purpose for it? And many gifted, intelligent, smart, God-loving, Jesus-loving, Scripture-knowing theologians throughout history have disagreed on this. And a lot of people that I greatly respect, theologians that I love reading their, their works modern-day theologians, I love watching their sermons, mentors that I've had, people that have poured in my life. uh, There's lots of different people that disagree um, with each other. And a lot of the people that I even might even disagree with, I have great fellowship with, and have great close friendships with. And so as I go through the sermon today, remember that on issues like this, we don't have to agree on these secondary issues to enjoy worshiping together as a church family and having fellowship here. We don't have to see eye to eye on this. It's not an insignificant topic. I'm not saying that. It's actually an important topic, but it's not the most important topic. So it's not insignificant, but it's not the most important either. And that's actually even Paul's point as he's saying, you guys are making a much bigger deal about this gift than it really should be. So he's even saying, look, I I don't want you to be in the dark about the gifts, but look, you guys are kind of out of balance here. So before I read through this text, I'm not going to explain the gift off the bat, because we're going to be going through that as we go through today. Uh, but for some of you who've never heard of this gift, this gift of tongues, or maybe haven't been exposed to it too much, I'll just give you a really brief description so you understand as we jump into the text. Uh, this gift of tongues, you go, what is the gift of tongues? Uh, this, tongues means languages. Uh, it's the Greek word glossolalia, which is kind of a mixture of tongues and languages. So it's uh, language being spoken by a tongue. So it's not written language but it's languages being spoken by a mouth. And so it's really the gift of language is really kind of, or spoken language is what you might say. And then in the New Testament, God gave some believers a gift to be able to speak in a different language that they didn't know. But many people in the Corinthian church were doing this and pursuing it, as I said, because it was this crazy, amazing gift. And so it was kind of the, the, the cool one to seek after. And they would misuse it. They would kind of abuse it. I mean, imagine if I had the ability, for instance, to speak uh, the African language of Bemba, and I come to church and I start preaching in Bemba. Well, that's not going to do anything for you guys unless you know Bemba, and I don't think anyone here does. But if I start preaching in that way, what's that going to do? It's going to do nothing for you, but what it will do is it'll make me look pretty spiritual. And so that's what was going on in the church, is that they were seeking after these gifts that weren't really, their goal wasn't to build up the church, but their goal was just to kind of show themselves off. And so that's what was happening here. So uh, we'll read through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6, and we're going to talk more about this and describe more of it, obviously, but I wanted to give you that brief context uh, and description before we jump into this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So he's saying, if I come speaking in tongues, I like can Bemba, how's that going to benefit you unless I bring it to you in your own language? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So, what he's saying here, as a for instance, you know, we're going to be, some of us are going to be watching a game today. So, I'm going, to, I'm going to actually have you join in with me on something here, okay? You guys got to commit to this. All right? If I sing this little tune, you know what to say afterwards, okay? If I go, dun 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 dun! Oh. Very good. That's, that's, the, that's a war cry for a bugle that is played, and we know what to say right after that. Now, what Paul's saying, though, is if I give some indistinct notes, then all you get is silence. Because you don't know what to say after that. Like, what are we supposed to say after that? I know charge. I know charge. We know what to do then, but if I give some indistinct notes that don't make any sense, there's no relevance to me whatsoever, we don't know what to do after that. We're going to sit there awkwardly in silence. And so what he's saying is, if if we come, even this instrument, this beautiful instrument that makes beautiful sounds, but if it plays indistinct notes, no one's going to know what to do. What's the point? What's the point unless we're playing notes that actually make sense, where we know this is our battle cry? So with yourselves, he says in verse 9, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how's anyone to know what is said? You'll be speaking into the air, just like I just did when I did that weird little tune. I'm just speaking in the air with no response. There's doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, he's saying, you guys want the the gifts of the Spirit so badly, so since that's the case, strive to excel in building up the church. Seek after the gifts that build up the church. Therefore, he says in verse 13, So in light of all that, one who speaks in a tongue, a different language, should pray that he may interpret. So there would be some kind of interpretation. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So I might kind of get a kick out of I, I know what my little fake battle cry was just now. I know what that really means, and it's encouraging to me, but it did nothing for the church just now. Whereas I did the first one, you guys replied, but charge. So Paul's saying, if I speak in tongues, my my spirit's encouraged, but my mind isn't because I actually don't know what it even is that I'm saying. So what am I to do? I'm gonna pray with my spirit, but I wanna also pray with my mind. I want to know what I'm praying. So Paul's saying, I'd rather pray with my mind, understanding what I'm saying, because now I'm praying with my spirit and also with my mind. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'm going to sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't even know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person isn't being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, which is kind of a funny thing that he says there. But part of what Paul's doing is saying, look, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm glad I do it. So he's trying to balance what he's saying. He's like, I don't want you guys to take it this way. that I'm saying it's unimportant. I'm glad that I speak in tongues. But He says, nevertheless, in church and around people, I would rather speak five words with my mind, speaking in a language that's understood, in order to instruct others, then 10,000 words in a tongue. In verse 20. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are assigned not to believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is assigned not for unbelievers, but to believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now, when I was about probably seventeen, uh, I was still technically, I guess, Catholic, uh, but I was kind of on my way out of the Catholic Church. Uh, I, I did not become a Christian or anything. I was just there's just some things that happened in my church that I was just I was ready to leave the church, and so my mom and I we. Uh, She said, well, Joe, why don't we go and uh, we'll visit a couple different churches. So we went to a couple different denominations, and we went to this one particular church. Uh, I don't remember the denomination exactly, um, but uh, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, in the middle of a song or something, I can't remember exactly, someone stood up, and and I look back now, and I know what it was. They were speaking in tongues. And uh, and I was sitting there. I'm 17. I'm just like, what is going on here? It totally freaked me out. Uh, I had no idea what was going on. It didn't sound like any language I'd ever heard. And, and, uh, and I was exactly like this. Uh, outsider, unbeliever entered. Will they not say that you're out of your minds? I mean, I, I, I've experienced that for sure when I was an outsider and unbeliever. And verse 24, going back into that. But if everyone prophesies and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declares that God is really among you. So lots of texts there that we just read through. You can follow along in your notes here, just a couple things on what tongues, uh, what I see that tongues are in the scriptures. Uh, The first thing in your notes here is that tongues is speaking in human languages that the other speaker does not know. This was promised in the Old Testament, also mentioned by Jesus, that this would happen. And we see the beginning of this in Acts chapter 2. Right after Christ ascended into heaven, uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. The church was uh, really kind of commissioned uh, with the Great Commission, uh, but then also given the Holy Spirit to to live out the Great Commission. So I'd like to read Acts 2 just to get a context here. If you'd uh, like to open up with me to Acts chapter 2. It'll also be up on the screen behind me. So Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled, but the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And verse 5 Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And to this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So people from other nations heard their own language, human languages, being spoken. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, Ah, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk, they're crazy, the outsiders, just as Paul said. Also in Acts chapter 11, Cornelius and those at his house received the same gift. Now some believers believe that there's two different versions, or at least a couple different versions of the gift of tongues. That one is a language, another human language that we just saw in Acts chapter 2. And some people believe that there's also an undecipherable language Um, It's just a a language that is not a human language, just kind of a random uh, language. Uh, Some theologians call it ecstatic speaking. Uh, Some people might call it the the gift, the the tongue of angels. But Paul says in Acts chapter 11 that it's the same gift. He actually says they, they were given the same gift that we were given, which would mean that it's also the gift of human language. And it's unlikely that the tongues that were spoken would be angelic languages. Uh, most people point to 1 Corinthians 13.1. I mentioned this uh, a couple, a couple Corinthian sermons ago, that that argument from 13.1 doesn't really work or make sense because if you read that whole part in context there, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, he's speaking hyperbolically. He says, even if I could speak with the tongue of angels... But he uses three examples there, and so what he's saying by, by saying, if I could speak in the tongue of angels is not that that's ever happened or would ever happen, because we've never heard of that. He's using that hyperbolically. But most people that say there's two different types of gifts of tongues. one is human language, one is the angel angelic language, languages. That's one of the arguments they uses from 13:1, but that doesn't seem to make uh, to, to work at all, because it's used in context hyperbolically. And so it seems that tongues is a gift that is given to believers that is a gift of other languages. Paul calls it the same gift when it was given to Cornelius in his house. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13.1 doesn't seem to work to describe in angelic languages, but it's a gift given to speak other human languages. But Paul goes on to say what the value of it is. So he's going to describe a little bit more here. He says the value of tongues is to build up the church, to strive to build up the church, and it's really a sign for unbelievers. But he says that tongues alone, just speaking in tongues, does not build up the church. It does nothing for the hearer if they hear a different language. They don't know what's being said. They can't say amen. They can't say charge. But with an interpretation, it helps the other person in the room, such as in Acts chapter 2. There was interpreters In that crowd, someone was speaking a Persian language. This this Galilean Jew speaking in a Persian language, and there was a Persian person there who actually understood. They were the interpreter. And they heard it. They said, I hear my language. So if there's an interpreter in the room, then it's helpful. Otherwise, no one can say Amen. You know, the times when I go to Zambia, if I'm in a certain, you know, context, you know, if, especially if I'm sitting around with the kids and they'll start speaking the vernacular language uh, and I pick up words and phrases and I've, I've, learned, I've learned how to say the phrase, are you laughing at me? Because they laugh at me a lot in their own language. And then so now when I, I surprise them when I say, are you laughing at me? And they look at me and they feel like they got caught, even though I don't really understand anything else they said. Um, but I do know that. But if, I'm, if they're sitting there talking or if I'm in a church service... And one of the speakers is just speaking Nyanja. I can't say amen. Even if I hear a couple words, I hear him say malunga, which means Lord. I hear a few different things. But I can't say amen to anything because I don't know what they're teaching about the Lord. But the temptation is just to kind of feel like, you know, you fit in, you go, amen, you know. But I don't know what they're saying. I need an interpreter. When I preach over there, a lot of them, they don't know enough English or maybe no English. And so they need an interpreter for me so that they can actually say amen to what I'm preaching so Paul says he'd rather speak five words in a native tongue than 10,000 in a foreign. When I go to Zambia, I would rather speak five words in Yanja than 10,000 in English if they're not going to understand me. And number two, in your notes, according to Paul, he seems to equate speaking in tongues as akin to prophecy, but in a different language and with an added purpose that I'll get to soon. 1 Corinthians fourteen two says that prophecy is better than tongues unless tongues are interpreted. So therefore, what he's saying is that tongues is just as good as prophecy if tongues are interpreted. It's just as powerful. Now, a reminder on what prophecy is, and again, I'd recommend watching the, the last sermon I did in 1 Corinthians. Old Testament and New Testament prophecy is language both directed to people about God, so prophetic words to the people about God, but also sometimes prophets in the Old and New Testament uh, direct their language to God. They're declaring praise to God as a prophetic utterance. So it can be to the people about God or sometimes certain prophecies, especially you read a lot in the Old Testament, a lot of prophetic words are actually declaring to God certain praise, but it's also for the people's encouragement to hear this direct praise to God. But prophecy is different than a sermon or an impression or a simple prayer. In the prophecy, both Old and New Testament, I believe, are infallible and perfectly true. Uh, prophetic words given in the, by the Old and New Testament prophets were infallible. They were direct words from God. This is why the apostle and the prophet's prophetic words have been recorded as Scripture. That we study it. That we hold it as God's Word. And why we don't hold even the most powerful sermons or other writings, or the most amazing books we've ever read by incredible theologians, we don't hold those as infallible. We don't hold those in the scripture because they're not prophecy. They're not prophetic words given straight from God. It's God working wisdom through these different people, giving them power to preach, but it's not infallible words of God. God. And so I believe that prophecy that Paul speaks of in the New Testament is the same as the Old Testament. Those prophets were just the same. Paul doesn't seem to make any distinction whatsoever between New Testament and Old Testament prophets. And I also don't believe that there's any infallible prophesying prophets in the world in the church today. So what does prophecy in tongues, in part, what do they do? What's their function? Well, when you understand prophecy, when you can understand it, it's in your language, it declares truth about God. Believers, Paul said, are encouraged. It's assigned to believers. They're encouraged with prophecy. And with tongues, non-believers who enter a meeting, if there's no interpreter, they're going to just think they're crazy. But if that person enters and they hear their own language miraculously being spoken by someone, they're going to hear those words, those gospel words, just as the guys in Acts 2 said, they're going to be amazed. They're going to hear the story of the gospel, but in their own language. So looking back at verse 22 in verse Corinthians 14, it says, Thus tongues are assigned not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now, it seems like there's a bit of a contradiction there, because on one hand, Paul says that tongues is for believers, or I'm sorry, for unbelievers. But he's, he's saying here, therefore, since tongues is a sign for unbelievers, then when, then when they hear prophecy in their own language, so if they walk in, they hear tongues, but it's their own language, and that would be akin to prophecy, a prophetic word being spoken, it wouldn't make sense, Paul's saying, to have tongues spoken in a language that unbelievers can't understand. So if everyone's just speaking in tongues, but this unbeliever comes in and doesn't hear his own language, there's no one to interpret for him, then it's pointless for him. But if it's spoken in a language he understands, then all of a sudden there's effect upon him. So tongues is only helpful when someone who understands the language is actually there. So regardless of some of the minute details there, Paul's point is that when tongues are spoken and someone hears their own language miraculously, it's gonna have the same effect as prophecy. The point of tongues is to have Prophetic words being spoken to people in their own native language in a way that is that brings amazement to them, that shocks them. It's a sign to them that this God is real. And Paul very much holds tongues and prophecy together in their effect when there is an interpretation, which again points to tongues being akin to prophecy, except just miraculously in a different language. So now, as I mentioned, I don't believe there's still infallible prophets giving infallible words from God, but that was for the apostles establishing the church under the, the new covenant. And so if you, if you follow my understanding and logic, and if tongues are akin to prophecy as Paul paints that picture, then it would follow also uh, that tongues as well was for the establishing of the early church to inaugurate the new covenant era of God's people. And so... One of the questions that would remain for us today then is, then what is it that people do today that, you know, for many of you or uh, many of your friends, people I know that, that speak in tongues, uh, if the way I'm following this here is that this, this gift of tongues was given for the establishment of the church just the same way that prophecy was, so then what is it that people do today? Well, just as I said in the last First Corinthians sermon, that some people who call prophecy prophecy... Uh, They might get some kind of inkling, or they might get uh, some kind of impression, and they would call it a prophetic word. Uh, When I see in Scripture, I wouldn't call that a prophetic word. They might, but I would not call that a prophetic word. I'd call it something else. I might call it sanctified wisdom or logic, a believer who is uh, really paying attention, who actually has a great insight for someone. I call it maybe just biblical thinking, maybe an impression or an insight, Or some kind of biblical truth that they're sharing in a very relevant way. Uh, You might even call being led by the Spirit. But I I wouldn't personally call it a prophetic word. I think that a prophetic word is something different than all those things. Uh, And so sometimes we label things differently. But I don't think that those things are prophecy. Because I think that prophecy is something that is infallible. And you might argue that this is just kind of some semantics... And in some cases, that might be semantics, but I think that words and semantics are uh, not always, but but are very oftentimes, even words are so important for us to define properly. And so the type of tongues that many would today practice, I'm not particularly convinced that those are the same gift that we see in the New Testament. I think it's something just different. I'm not saying that it's something different like a lot of guys would say that it's something demonic, they're doing this thing, they're babbling, and I don't believe that at all. Uh, But it's it's not what I see in the actual scriptures, namely a human foreign language being spoken. Now, for the record, I would say this. I do think that God is more than able to do something like this. I do think, and I've even heard of certain stories, in particular frontier ministries, missionaries going to unreached people groups that have never heard the gospel, never heard the name Jesus, and I've heard of those missionaries being able to miraculously speak that language, and I don't actually particularly think that that's really even out of line with how I see tongues in the Scripture because we even see some kind of delayed tongues that were given after Pentecost, particularly to the, uh, the Samaritans, that happened a little bit after Pentecost to a separate people group to validate that the gospel is also for you. And so it, it doesn't go outside, I don't think, of the way I even see this as something where if there is a people group that has been delayed for 2,000 years has not heard the name of Jesus, it would make sense if I heard a story that was validated that a missionary group would go in and God would give them the gift of tongues to, to pour out the Holy Spirit upon this people group to hear the name of Jesus for the first time. That would actually make sense, and I would actually see that. So, um, so I don't think that that is impossible for the Lord to do. A way to establish the church... And establish the, the new covenant in that new community. However, I think that what most people do today, what they would call tongues, is not what we see in Scripture. Um, there was a time, I think I was probably 19 or 20, I can't quite remember. Um, I think I wasn't quite married or just got married. And, uh, but I used to deliver the San Diego Reader, that little, that free magazine. And I was driving around San Diego and, and I used to just, I used to want to just to be able to, to speak in tongues. And, uh, and I remember, I would go around in my truck, and, um, and I would start, I would just kind of open my mouth, and a lot of people would kind of instruct me in this, because uh, the church I would go to was, uh, was a more charismatic church. And so I would just try, I'd just try to speak in tongues, and so I would just start, I'd, I'd put this music on, it was just kind of like some random, it was like uh, instrumental music, and I would just open my mouth, and I'd just start speaking, just basically just gibberish, you know. And... Um, and at the time, it was, it was kind of like, well, this is kind of cool. Like, what is this? Is it speaking in tongues? Is it not? Uh, eventually, I realized it wasn't speaking in tongues at all. <laughs> I was just, I was more like, you know, kind of scatting, you know, like in old jazz and bebop music. And that's really all it was. Um, but there was this element of it that was like, um, uh, <laughs> it was, it was kind of fun. <laughs> uh, but I realized it was not the gift of tongues. Uh, and I've never... I've never come close to even thinking. That was the closest I ever thought to where I go, well, maybe I spoke in tongues, but I, I know I didn't. Um, but what I did in my truck wasn't sinful. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't evil or demonic. Um, in this one particular way, it was just kind of this nice, um, you know, I, I felt almost as if I was praying kind of within these, I didn't have English words, but there's a lot of things on my mind, and, you know, and so... So I don't think that what people do today is what we see in the scriptures. I don't think it's the, this gift of tongues, uh, but I also wouldn't you know, go so far as, uh, as some people would say is that it's this demonic thing, it's evil. Thank Another question we could uh, ask ourselves is why was this particular gift given to establish the new covenant? And this is the part that gets exciting to me when I think through why was this gift even given. You think back to the Tower of Babel. Uh, people were divided as they aimed to make themselves great. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were scattered then because of their arrogance. They were divided and and cut off by God. But under Christ, people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation are going to be gathered together to create one body and one people, one new man, as Paul says. And so this pouring out of the Spirit in a particular way was this inauguration to announce that this new covenant is here. To announce this new era of God's plan for redemption, to welcome people from all those scattered people groups with all these different languages that have been scattered by their own sin and let them know that they are welcome. Welcomed by the gospel, welcomed by Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ laid his life down so that we all, with our different languages, could become one. See, up until this point, when Jesus died on the cross, the enemy had a grip on the nations, he held them in darkness. He deceived them for thousands of years. And only the Jews had the truth of God and his covenant promises. So there's this one nation, this one people group, and everyone else was separated, divided by their, even with their languages. But the atoning work of Christ, this Passover lamb being killed for the sins of man, the wrath of God had been propitiated, satisfied by this lamb. And the power of sin and death was defeated on the cross. The veil in the temple was torn. The dividing wall of hostility was torn between Jew and Gentile, Jew and all of these foreign languages, foreign people. Between the Jews and every other scattered nation that had rebelled against God at Babel, now all of a sudden these scattered nations of the earth are being brought together. They're being welcomed into the new covenant. And so under this new covenant, this new victory, there would be no dividing wall of hostility, no racism, no nationalism. But rather people of every color of skin, every culture, every language would be joined together. The giving of the gift of tongues to the early church was an inauguration, an announcement. Almost like John the Baptist announcing the way. A clear announcement and validation to the nations. That they were welcome, this welcome to those who were outside of Israel. Israel a sign of things to come, that there would be a king of all kings, a lord of all lords. And so this gift was given to inaugurate this new covenant and welcome in the nations into the kingdom of God. It was the beginning of a new era to show that God's spirit had been poured out, given freely to both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, so that this prophetic establishment of the church could happen. God's people wouldn't be relegated to just one nationality, the Jewish people, or to one nation state or region that was Israel, but the power of sin and death, the deceiving of the nations would be no longer. Christ came, poured out his spirit upon his people and gave them the great commission to go to all nations and make disciples and teach them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as he sends them out, he gifts certain individuals with these gifts to prophetically speak truth as they did in the Old Testament, but now with the ability in other languages as the sign to show these previously cut off nations, previously alienated, previously divided. There was a wall of hostility, as Paul says in Ephesians. But now these these. Prophets are going out speaking in a language they don't know as a sign to these people groups saying, you are welcome. You are welcome into the kingdom of God. There's a Christ that came to divide the wall of hostility. And this is proof. I'm sharing the gospel in your language and I don't know your language. It was a way to establish the gospel to these groups, these tongues that previously did not have the gospel. And so for us today, even if, though you might agree with me or disagree with me, but if you agree that tongues was for the establishment of the church, there's still relevance for us in these scriptures. And even if you disagree with me, there's still the same relevance for us as we can look at these scriptures for us today. Because though I've spent some time today finding tongues, that's not actually the point of the scripture. Uh, Paul isn't here to define tongues. Uh, As I mentioned, the Corinthians had a very disorderly church. They promoted themselves wrongfully. They abused communion. They abused their roles. There was a lot of usurping of authority, a lot of ignoring of unrepentant sin, and they were pursuing the more extravagant gifts, gifts that they thought would make them seem more close or privileged to God. And Paul's point here is that he wants to combat that to help them pursue the gifts rightly for the purpose of building up the church, not building up self. He says to earnestly desire the greatest gifts, not meaning the flashiest or the kind that would make you look good, but the kind that would build up the church the most. And though in this time here, specifically in 1 Corinthians, he's speaking of prophecy, you know, earnestly desire the greatest gift, speaking of prophecy, because that builds up the church the most. But for us today, there could be a similar application. In the church today, there are so many gifts that are needed in the capital C, not just Life Mission Church, but in the capital C church today. So many gifts that we need Christians to pursue to see the church be built up, to see unbelievers come to know Jesus Christ. I wrote down just a few of these. You can follow along here. We'll be closing on these few points here. Here's just a few things. As Paul says, and again, this is whether you agree with me or not on tongues. That's kind of beside the point because the point that Paul's making here is we need to be seeking gifts that build up the church. So whether you believe or agree with me or not on this, I think that here's some things that we can say we definitely need to seek these gifts out in the church for the purpose of building up the church and seeing people come to know Jesus. And this is clearly not an exhaustive list. But I think we need more believers in the church to seek out the ability to understand the word and the ability to communicate it. Whether it's just over coffee or having conversations or in counseling. Church, do you do you pray for that? Do you pray and ask God, God, help me understand your word so I can encourage others? Do you seek that out? Do you read books that help you do that? Do you spend time in the Bible every day and praying and incorporating prayer as part of your Bible reading? Church, biblical understanding is a rarity these days, even in the church. Is that a premium? Is a biblical wisdom? is not something that many Christians are really adept at. We need to pray for wisdom and discernment. This is why in the last, you know, over a year now, we've been spending particular time asking God for wisdom in various ways. Church, we need, our, this church, we've seen the last even just just a couple weeks, is just like a, a snippet of what's going on in our country. We need to seek Wisdom. We need to seek the ability to speak the truth in love, to have mercy, grace, and compassion in a volatile world. I mean, again, with the legislation and hearing Leslie speak last week, we need, as a church, the ability to speak the truth in love with wisdom and with boldness, but to speak it in love. The church, the capital C church, needs Christians to seek that ability and that gift we need to seek the gift of selflessness and generosity. I, I'm, I'm asking you, church, please, 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 because this will, this will change your, your marriage, your family life, your evangelism. Would you please seek and ask God to give you the gift of hospitality? Because the gift of hospitality spreads into every part of your life. Inviting non believers into your home, Being able to have conversations with people who radically disagree with you, but you're actually doing it in a very loving way because you're going to be hospitable towards them. Becoming more generous with your time, with the the kinds of people. You're not just hanging out with the same people all the time, but you're actually spreading out who you're you're wanting to bring into your life and, and affect them. Seek the gift of hospitality. Did you know that elders are actually required to be hospitable? That's that's the kind of premium God puts on it. You don't just want pastors and elders that are good at teaching and good at counseling. No, I I have to be, and thankfully I want to be, but I I have to be hospitable. Because that's something that God values his people is to be hospitable people. He wants the shepherds of the church to be the kind of people who welcome people into their homes and, and lay down their schedule for other people. But he wants the elders to be like that because he wants the people to be like that. He wants the people to have that example that we would be the kind of people who welcome people into our lives. So church, pray for the gift. It is a spiritual gift. Pray for the gift of hospitality. Do you ask God to help you be more generous? Uh, Boldness to share the gospel. We need more in the church to have boldness. Uh, The Acts 6 type of waiting on tables, servanthood. Do you ever seek God to say, God, help me? be more of a servant, to, to do things not for the praise of man, for, but just to glorify and honor you? Do you have a perspective of privilege as we serve the body and community? Do you see it as a privilege that you get to serve, or as an obligation or a have to? Pray that you would see the ability and the opportunity to serve your church and serve your non-believing friends and serve the Lord, that you would see that as a great honor and privilege, not as a chore pray that that would be your heart. We ought not to be like the Corinthians who seek to glorify themselves and ask what's in it for me and getting credit for things and using our gifts to feel some kind of relevance or importance or to, so we can worship the God of usefulness because that's what we do. We, we worship the God of usefulness. We just want to feel useful, like we matter, and we, we worship that false God. As we pray to close... I'm gonna read more of this next week, but I wanted just to read uh, two verses of Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. And I'd encourage you to read uh, all the way through verse 20, but I'll be reading more of this next week. Paul says this to the Romans, he goes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a gracious, compassionate, and generous God, and you give many varying and incredible gifts to your kids and you give these gifts so that the church would be built up so that outsiders and unbelievers would taste and see that you are good but more than anything God so that you would be glorified And we know that when you're glorified, that is exactly how the church is built up and unbelievers come to know you. It's when you're glorified. And so we are amazed and thankful that you have allowed us to partake in the privilege of serving your people and serving this world, serving even our enemies and your enemies. You give us the great privilege to lay our lives down for them, to be hospitable even towards our enemies this in turn brings you glory and that's when people are amazed at who you are your wisdom your power your mercy and your grace so god as we go from this place today whether we agree on every single point as as the the person next to us that part doesn't matter quite as much as wanting to go which is a spirit of unity and desire to glorify you to love each other even in our disagreements differences of of how we see things. But we go, God, with a desire to glorify you, to build up the church and to see your glory be made known among the nations. So God, we thank you so much for your grace towards us and for your word this morning. We love you and we worship you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen.